Hey, all right, Bubba's. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Betty Ed Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. You already know that, though. If you're listening, you're thinking, what's this? No intro music? This cold open? This is scary. Relax. I'm here. It's good. I am here to share with you a new venture, a new chapter, a whole new show. David Anthony and I have come together to bring to you a new program. It's called As You Were podcast about alkaline trio every week david and i are going to discuss one alkaline trio song it's born out of what david and i have done on here before doing those episodes about the weekend ends and jawbreaker we talked about doing something along those lines some sort of offshoot for both of us because we really have a lot of fun with those episodes we enjoy talking to each other we bounced around some ideas and came to this one it's completely stolen from a podcast called blink 155 which we were both following. I feel like I can tell you all that. Like, I, I, I trust you. Um, and I don't like being real with you. <laughs> I said, let's just do that with the Alkaline Trio. We'll have fun. We'll talk about something we both know the ins and outs of. And we did it and debuted it. It came out yesterday. So I'm inviting you now to listen to the first episode. Got it here for you. Inviting you to subscribe to it on iTunes. We'll be posting it on Tuesdays, and better yet, we'll resume its regular schedule next Wednesday. Got a good interview lined up. Until then, here's As You Were. Enjoy, Bubba's. Love you. Welcome to episode number one As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week, myself, Tim Crisp, and my co-host, David Anthony, hey, all right, talk about a different Alkaline Trio song. So we're in the first episode right now, so what we are actually going to do, we're going to break from the premise already we've already established ourselves yeah we've already lied to you literally within the first minute of this podcast well what what we're here to do and what we thought we would do with the first episode of the podcast is to introduce what we are doing Mm -hmm. we are here to discuss every single alkaline trio song the good the bad the Mm in-between i think it's important right now uh, to, to explain, we are not going to approach it chronologically, uh-huh. um, because that would, I think, wear us out and wear you out because we'd be talking about the same things week after week after week. Instead, you know, since this band has a long career, twenty plus years now, twenty plus, uh, we broke every song goes into a different era, and we broke them up into four distinct groupings. Do you want to tell us about the groupings, Tim? We have those groupings. They're in playlist format. The first playlist covers the band's Asian Mac- Asian Man Records years. You have God Damn It, Maybe I'll Catch Fire, and the self-titled record from 2000. Mm-hmm. Second playlist will comprise the Vagrant LPs, From Here to Infirmary, Good Morning, and Crimson. The third playlist brings us up to present day. Mm-hmm. Agony and Irony, This Addiction, and My Shame is True. And then the fourth playlist is just every spare track that's not on the first self-titled so anything from splits 
comp tracks, noteworthy covers. Mm-hmm. Also, Matt's side of his split with Kevin Seconds. Yeah, the Broken Wing EP, which came out alongside My Shame is True, uh, Remains stuff, basically everything else that's kind of a rarity, obscurity, uh, besides um, some of the unreleased Good Morning demos, everything else gets filtered into there. Yeah, our own version of Remains. Basically, If you will. Um, And each week, we will uh, randomly... um, Hit play on one of these playlists. Whatever song comes up is the song we discussed that week. So uh, week one is a song from Era 1. Week two, song from Era 2. Week three, song from Era 3. What about week four? That's song from Era 4. And okay, then week right, five, right, right, we're right. back to a playlist to one. Here. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sounds good. We following? I'm following. So, you know, you're, if you're listening to this, you you might know who we are. You might Maybe. have been linked to this through some form of, of, of whatever it is that we do, but we feel it's important that we introduce ourselves, introduce our relationships with Alkaline Trio and kind of give you a little bit of a context for why why we're here. Why we're doing this thing. Talking about this band so exhaustively. Because like- I, I know most of you came to it because you saw it was the number one podcast on iTunes and probably don't know who we are and our backstories. So now's the time we kind of, we want to fill that in. We want to make you understand not only why we're doing this, but also um, how we are two very different Alkaline Trio fans, though very much the same. Yes, that's true. Though we, we do have kind of similar, similar stories. I first heard the Alkaline Trio... Um, it was the year 2000. I remember that was a summer. That was a big summer for Vagrant Records in mm-hmm. my household. We uh, your your dad was really into Dashboard. And- my dad was really into the Get Up Kids. Oh, my that's dad, fair. My dad, brought, you know, I was I was at that point uh, coming, you know, taking my first steps outside of Blink 182. Sure, so sure. I was getting into Drive Through Records. And then uh, my dad started kind of to pick up on what I was listening to, too. And so he was like, hey, I found this band called The Get Up Kids. Yeah. And so he bought something to write home about, and we both loved it. Mm -hmm. And he just went ahead and ordered the, you know, the last six things that came out on Vagrant, like around that time. Sure. Including From Here to Infirmary, which I heard that summer, the summer before my freshman year of high school, I remember liking it, and I remember a lot of my friends liking Alkaline Trio mm-hmm. a lot, and thought they were great. But then when my friend Carl showed up after a trip from uh, Record Breakers in Arlington Heights, Illinois, mm-hmm. shout out to Northwestern Illinois. We'll be talking a lot about you on this podcast. Carl comes back with the first three records, mm-hmm. and he's like everything before from here to infirmary is better than from here to infirmary and i was mm-hmm. like oh okay well what's sure. the best one and he's like god damn it and i listened to it and it was just such an immediate feeling of just deep connection i remember i was on the school bus i remember so many details about that school bus ride listening to san francisco for the first time nose over tail i think i got to southern rock and then we got to school and i had to put my headphones away mm-hmm. but later that day snuck in to listen to it again mm-hmm. got home listened to it again and yeah. just formed uh what was a very very loving relationship that lasted through my high school years into college and i sort of drop off 
after Crimson. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the end for me. Which was 2005 for those who don't know the, the full chronology. I, on the other hand, I came to the band very young. I think it's hard for me to like totally nail down time and place. Like I, I couldn't tell you when I first heard them, but I, I have a feeling the first song I probably heard was Nose Over Tail. Um, and then God, God Damn It. So this would have been, I believe, 1999. And I would have been nine years old. Okay. So for me... This was again similar. Like I was into Blink One Eight Two. I was into Green Day. Um, you know, I was pretty into music. But this was the first thing I found that wasn't like big. You yeah. know, it was it was the first real like dipping my toes into quote unquote underground music. Uh-huh. And loving goddamn it, I remember never hearing anything like that before. And it just really you know fucking up my brain. I remember. Um, concealing cash in an envelope and sending it to Asian Man Records uh-huh. and getting uh, Maybe I'll Catch Fire and my first Alkaline Trio shirt when I was before I was 10 years old. Wow. Uh, and then seeing the band a lot, keeping up with them. I remember, you know, uh, buying from Here to Infirmary the day it came out. Um, I remember that one being the kind of the lightning rod one for people around me for that's for my friends everybody else picked up on it yeah uh-huh. like that record was on vagrant there were a lot of like songs people loved um and yeah so like they were my first favorite band i've seen them probably close to 30 times if not more throughout my life uh through the present day uh-huh. uh i've written about them endlessly i've interviewed them uh i've gone really really deep uh, when I was 15 years old, the year Crimson came out, I got an Alkaline Trio tattoo, uh-huh. which now has a thought bubble above it that says whoops um, <laughs> for a myriad of reasons. But yeah, they were they were hugely important to me. And if they have released a song or if, even if it's not been released, I've heard it and I know about it. So, you know, also filling filling everybody in on on what you do now you have been writing about music since when? I mean, I started writing for like an online blog probably in 2009 uh-huh. when I was in college. Yeah. And I'd done it professionally, I guess, <sighs> six years. Yeah. Um, in various capacities, being a staff writer, assistant editor at the AV Club, then the music editor there, then leaving, becoming a freelancer. I. Uh, do a podcast called no plus ones with uh dan ozzy noisy fame and yeah so i've just i've just been around i've been writing i've been talking to people uh-huh. i've been telling people what i think about music for some time uh-huh. <laughs> so i mean it's 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 fair to say that the uh the relationship that you have with this band brings you to what you do professionally yes very much and i think for me too uh, I do a podcast called Better Yet, which is an interview podcast with musicians. And really the goal of that whole venture for me is is contextualizing the art that people make. And I tr- trace that back um, to that very distinct memory that I have of, of listening to Alkaline Trio in the early days and, and really identifying with the songs that Matt was writing and the presentation that he had of himself, which, you know, he poeticized in his own way, but there was a, a layer of reality to it that I really clung to 
and very immediately fell for. And mm. I would say that for the entirety of, of my life to follow, my relationship with music and, and all art in general really has been finding that personality that I found, that realness that came through on those earliest Alkaline Trio records, you know, that's what brings me here. For sure. And, and yeah, for me, it's definitely the same thing. And it was the first time, like, th- though I think, you know, there's definitely a goofy element to it that we that comes later. In the early years, it was like I'd never heard music like this and I'd never heard something so blunt. And that really, like, reflected what I was going through in my life. You know, it, it's fitting that, like, my favorite band was Alkaline Trio when I grew up in a funeral home. That's kind of like, <laughs> you know, a little on the nose. But, you know, also, like you know them writing songs about depression and people committing suicide when i was yep. losing friends that way it was the first time i really had anything that like felt uh, very comforting and felt very much my own and felt like i was uh you know experiencing something that was uh reflecting my own experiences so um yeah, yeah it was huge and, yeah. and that's still the music that speaks most to me is something even if it's not totally reflecting what i've been through is I feel like I'm understanding what someone else has been through. Yeah. And I feel like there's uh, th- there's an importance to that. And when that happens, you know, it, it sticks with you, whether whether you stick with it or not. Yeah, and I think that there's um, there's certainly a, a sense of guidance that I felt during those times, too, of, you know, you find that band in high school, and it's just like, it's it's perfect and it's and it's ideal for you know what I was going through and what my friends were going through and and the union that was formed with you know my best friends in high school who I you know would take the train in to mm-hmm. see Alkaline Trio I think being from the suburbs of Chicago and you being from Indiana Northwest Indiana mm-hmm. close to Chicago like their presence here is also incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they cast a pretty huge uh, shadow over the entire region and, and that genre of music for many years, and I would say still do. Um, but I think I think one of the things we've kind of danced around here a little bit and maybe we get into is the fact that, uh, you know, I stuck with it. Uh-huh. You fell off. I fell off. And... I think maybe, though I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know their history. I think maybe we should walk people through the history and explain, you know, these eras, explain what these things are, and uh, uh, maybe presage when you fell off. So Alkaline Trio was formed in late 1996 by Matt Skiba, Rob Duran. Doran. Doran. And Glenn Porter. See, I got caught up on s- pronouncing his last name because you corrected it right before we started it. Yeah. I well, think it's have, Duran. Have you not seen um, the original Sin documentary about the making of God Damn It? I have. I got it with my God Damn It reissue. Mm-hmm. But I haven't, I haven't watched it since, you know, 2007 when I got sure. it. Sure. I believe Matt Skiba pronounces it Doran okay. in that All right. All right. Uh, documentary. Um. What you will find out uh, throughout this podcast is that David is such a nerd, and I'm putting these things together 
almost you know f- expressly for the reason of not only communicating facts about the band but to just be continuously corrected mm-hmm. by resident nerd of the podcast david anthony i mean i just have a very strong belief that if you're going to do something you should do it right and while i understand uh tim's fly by the seat of his pants say whatever you want approach um you know i think it's really important to give people the correct information and facts as, as we move along so uh with that take it away well i know matt was from McHenry. correct were the rest of them uh i know glenn was from crystal lake uh-huh um and dan was from elgin nice well what about rob I don't know uh, much about Rob. Yeah, I don't know much about anything. I I uh, I know they all met or are Matt met Rob as long as well as uh, uh, a woman named Heather Gable, who will uh-huh. factor in later, uh, while he was studying for one year at Columbia College Chicago. They released their first seven-inch Sundials in 1997. Rob would leave the band shortly thereafter. He would be replaced by Dan Andriano who had played bass in Slapstick and was a bass player and singer in Tuesday. Notable not only for the merits of each of those bands, but also because both bands released records on Asian Man, where the Alkaline Trio would call home for the next four years. Yeah, they're about. Up until 2000. The relationship with Asian Man is pretty crucial, not only in the fact that this is like where they would get started but it kind of points to where alkaline trio didn't really fit in yeah at the time asian man was a predominantly ska label based in san francisco mm-hmm. um and although they had although mike had relationships with chicago man slapstick and and tuesday in the broadways alkaline trio doesn't really fit in too well aside from the Chicago connection. Yeah, and if you really look at, you know, those other bands that we named, like, uh, you know, Matt had a history playing drums for different bands. He was in uh, Blunt and then Jerkwater. He played in The Traders, um, playing in The Traders with Mark Ruvalo, who owned Johan's Face and put out the Sundial 7-inch. So, you know, he was kind of around uh, as well, but, you know, didn't really have a band that was as popular as, say, a Slapstick or a Tuesday, you know, and he was also known as a drummer before Alkaline Trio. He wasn't known as a guitar player and singer. Um, it was seen more kind of as a side project then, uh-huh. um, you know, but that connection to that label, you know, uh, it was a ska label and the Broadway's, you know, Tuesday, they didn't really sound like Alkaline Trio all that much. No. Um, and at the time in Chicago, I, I would argue that not a lot of bands sounded like what Alkaline Trio was doing. There was a strong hardcore scene. I would say there was still the remnants of a ska scene, but that kind of, you know, uh, gritty pop punk thing hadn't really taken hold. That Jawbreaker influence hadn't reached that far just yet. Yep. Yep. And Jawbreaker influence is so key mm-hmm. to this band. Um, For Your Lungs Only, their second EP come in 1998 and later that year their debut full length god damn it Mm -hmm. i believe god damn it was recorded in i think five days and and the interesting one of the interesting stories about that record is dan was still in tuesday at this point Uh like he'd only recently uh been brought on he only sings a couple songs on that record though he does a lot of backing vocals but you know in the five days that they were recording this record um you know he had to go on tour with Tuesday. So he recorded all of his backing vocals to Matt's songs before Matt recorded his vocals, oh. which is why so much of uh, his backing vocals often don't fall in line and uh-huh. often feel like he's singing something different. And I think that gives that record a very interesting uh, character with it. 
Yeah, a lot of character on that record in general, which we'll unpack. I Lied My Face Off EP came out in 1999, and their second LP, Maybe I'll Catch Fire, in 2000. That year, Asian Man would also release the band's first collection of B-sides, the two seven inches, be self-titled mm-hmm. around 2000. And it's important to note, I believe before either of those things were released, maybe I'll catch fire or self-titled, they would undergo another personnel change. Drummer Glenn Porter uh, would leave the band. Before maybe I'll catch fire. He recorded it. Oh, okay. But he okay, was okay. not. Uh-huh. I don't think he was still in the band when it was released. Um, because if you look at the liner notes for self-titled as well, they thank Glenn Porter uh-huh. in the liner notes. He is no longer a member of that band. Interesting. Was Mike Fellamly the original replacement, or did they, no. go, they go through somebody else? They uh, had a string of drummers come in. Pete Parada, who was playing in Face to Face and later Saves the Day, and uh-huh. currently The Offspring, uh, toured with them for a spell. And yeah, I think I think Mike originally came in, and then Pete came in when you know. I, I basically Mike comes in, records that record, but I don't think he was the original, uh, you know, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so just to to put a bow on the end of Asian Man, uh, self titled comes out in two thousand. There's a cassette on the cover. A lot of people kind of look at it as the third LP, as a record, it's technically. Yeah not the third lp is from here to infirmary which comes out on vagrant 2001 with mike fellamly playing drums mike formerly of the smoking popes Mm -hmm. also from crystal lake crystal lake represent um uh shout out to the crystal lake public library where uh glenn porter found the font that they would use for their uh name and logo straight up yep um (laughs) And uh, Neil Young would use as the font for his autobiography years later. Oh, hell yeah. So by this point, the band is signed with Vagrant, which is about as big as you can get for a non-major label at this juncture. Vagrant is a huge establishment. Mm -hmm. Um, And the band's profile would continue to rise into 2003 when they released Good Morning. By that point... Uh, they'd had a pretty successful video with Stupid Kid. Mm-hmm. They did the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. They toured with Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And Derek Grant of the Suicide Machines replaces Mike Fellamly. And we now have the lineup that remains to this day. Correct. And I, I think I might have been wrong. I think Mike might have been the drummer after Glenn left. I think there was a slight gap in between. But I know after he left, which was, uh, I think, in 2001. Uh-huh. Um, I think he did the Warp Tour with them, but not the tour with Blink-182 because that's when Pete from Face to Face was playing drums for them because I was actually, at that show. You know what? It wasn't Pete, though. It was a different drummer from Face to Face. Was it? Yeah. I don't know his name. But I know for a fact that it wasn't Pete because Pete joined Save the Day. Well, he did join Save the Day, but I think I think he played drums for Alkaline Trio briefly because of the Vagrant America tour where he was. it was dashboard face-to-face alkaline trio saves the day uh-huh and i think because he left uh, this doesn't matter we don't need to talk about Pete Parada's fucking career but point being i love the, that he's kicking in the offspring now that's sick that's gotta be a they good made gig. so much money i know so much money um stangs out with noodles all the time uh, that band's name should be noodles and company and i will die <laughs> on this hill um 
Anyway, uh, th- they went through a lot of drummers from 2000 to 2003 until they yeah. found Derek, and now he's been, you know, basically he's been in the band longer than anyone, any other drummer. Yeah, which is kind of crazy to think about because I think a lot of fans, myself included, still see him as the new guy. I yeah, me as well. It's so funny to consider because it was like it felt like a high profile like inclusion. Yeah, of like oh Derek Grant from the Suicide Machines is now in this band. Well, not only was uh, to to talk about Derek briefly for a second, because a lot of people shit on him, and I get it. I I go to bat for him a little more because not only was he in the Suicide Machines, he recorded Destruction by Definition when he was 16 years old and uh-huh. wrote the bulk of that record. He's an incredible player, but he was also in bands like Geiga. He was doing you know Thoughts by Inesco. He was doing this weird, really heavy uh, type of stuff. He was the original drummer in Walls of Jericho. Like he he was kind of all over the place in a Chris very Jericho's finishing maneuver. Yeah, you know he was the guy who really uh, helped make that happen. But I think he's he's got an interesting uh, discography well before Alkaline Trio that's kind of all over the place. That And some of it, like Geiga, is really fascinating. Good Morning mm-hmm. debuts at number 20 on Billboard, which, I mean, to put that into the perspective of this, of this band who was opening up for Scott tours five years earlier, mm-hmm. the star is rising to such a great extent. Um, Crimson... Their follow-up would debut at a similarly high position, and that would also mark the end of their time with Vagrant. Mm-hmm. Well, not technically. A compilation called Remains, mm-hmm. everything between 2001 and 2006, would be released on Vagrant. Yep. And then the Alkaline Trio signs with a major label, Epic Records. Incorrect. They signed with V2. A record label that was home to uh, the White Stripes, I believe at the time, uh, Darker My Love. Um, it was an imprint of Virgin, so it was technically still an independent, though owned by a major. Uh huh. They signed. V2 went under. Okay. And they V2's properties got bought by Epic. So though they were technically signed to a major label, they actually never signed a major label contract. Interesting. Interesting. Well, would that have anything to do with the reason that they put out one record on Epic Records? I think you you understand why that happened almost exactly. Um, Agony and Irony in 2008. Uh, but their follow-up for that would be released on Heart and Skull, which is a label they formed with Epitaph, a subsidiary of yep. Epitaph Records. Uh, this Addiction was released in February of 2010. This was a uh, big deal at the time because um, Agony and Irony did well. I think it charted fairly high, yeah. as as had the preceding two. Um, you know, they they did some big touring around that. Uh, in the interim between Crimson and Agony and Irony, they went out with, like, My Chemical Romance. They were doing stadiums, arenas. They were doing big stuff. Um, so it, it made sense that they were now doing a, a big record. That record was not well liked, and this addiction was hailed as a return to form. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they went from being in the background of uh, the hit MTV reality show, The Hills, to going back to Chicago to record with Matt Allison, who recorded basically everything you would find in that first Asian Man era, yep. as well as uh, the first Vagrant album. Uh-huh. And this addiction, The Return, mm-hmm. was also number one when it debuted on the modern rock charts. Yeah. 
Um, a year later, we would get Damnesia, a collection of mostly acoustic versions of Trio Classics, along with a couple new songs. Uh-huh. And in 2013, the band would release My Shame is True, their eighth studio LP, along with an EP called Broken Wing. Mm-hmm. Bringing us to present day. Yeah. Uh, so it's been five years since they've put out really anything new at all. And they're still semi-active, but... But... Well, in that time, uh, uh, both, all of them have released solo records. Yeah. Matt has done two. Dan has done two. Derek's done one. Uh, we also got The Hell. The Hell. Heavens, one off bands that. The Matt Falcon. Did. Uh, the Falcon with Dan and Brennan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms. And Neil. And uh, Neil. And one, a one time Rise Against guitarist at a certain point. Uh, but there's a much more high profile thing that happens in this uh uh would you like to tell us about it in 2015 matt skiba joined blink 182 Mm -hmm. replacing tom DeLong, and they made a record called california which david gave a 10 out of 10 on the av club yeah that is my my review of that does carry one of the proudest moments of my career and that i think that's maybe one of the best headlines i've ever written what was the headline again uh it was something to the effect uh on california everything's limp including the dick jokes yeah way to go i was pretty proud of that that is a record i wanted to like yeah and i bet have you seen them live with matt i bet it's fucking awesome (laughs) it's terrible and it's not so much his fault. I, I will say that I think the problem, and it's something that is now true of Alkaline Trio as well, is, uh, you know, Matt, not telling tales of school here, is not the most technically proficient guitar player. Uh-huh. But, he, but he's expressive. I think he's, he's still got a good voice. Yeah. Um, and I think he could, he could do well in that situation. Um, you know, they use, they don't use amp heads anymore. They're just plugging in these fa- effects. Uh-huh. And, you know, Matt's a little sloppy, whatever. You know, you hear him play these intros. It just sounds like you're listening to this really tinny, thin thing. Sure. You know, Blink One Eighty Two's never been the greatest live band. Uh huh. You know, and I've I saw Blink One Eighty Two I think four times by the year two thousand three. Once, including with the Alkaline Trio opening yeah. for them. And you know, th- they've never really been that together, and uh-huh. that, and them leaning really hard on having to play songs perfectly to match this like bit rate kind of sounding guitar tone sure is really really to really their weakness rough. yeah and i think uh you know that coupled with um really allowing john feldman to uh dictate the direction of that new record so much so that when they entered the studio with him they threw out the record they had written uh-huh. and had to rewrite everything with him uh is wow. ultimately to their detriment yeah you know i i've only listened to the the pool song that one I love. <laughs> I like the pool song. Uh, I did a Blink-182 cover set this past uh-huh. year with some some old coworkers and friends. Yeah. And we played Built This Pool, I think, four times. Nice. Very nice. I uh, played a, I played a Blink-182 cover set back in the day, too. It was fun. called Drunk-182, and I don't remember playing it. I can see why. Um. So what we would like to do, we've given you an introduction of ourselves, timeline of the band, what we're going to do now is just rate the records, give you a glimpse on where 
we stand and how this will go. We've alluded to a few differences in, in opinions and also just paying attention. Yeah, knowledge <laughs> is, is going to be one of the things that we address here. But we're going to hold back from discussion, but we'd like to, you know, give you a glimpse into into where where we lie and maybe some differences mm-hmm. and- where we sit yeah yeah so because because we don't we i think one of the important things to note is though we are both fans uh we disagree wildly on some of this stuff and some of this uh my, my dear co-host maybe has not even heard yes uh so every song you don't know what you're gonna get baby yeah <laughs> although uh there i mean if you listen to this podcast, if you care about Alkaline Trio at all, there are going to be some very, very obvious points of absolute non-contention. Mm-hmm, just the first gushing. of which is the debut LP, God Damn It, mm-hmm. which I would rank, or I'm sorry, rate with five skulls out of five skulls. Uh, you're not going to hear anything different from me. That's a record that is built into my bones, and it gets five skulls out of five. What about Maybe I'll Catch Fire? I give Maybe I'll Catch Fire four skulls out of five skulls. I give Maybe I'll Catch Fire three skulls out of five skulls. What do you get from here to infirmary? Two and a half skulls out of five. I give it three and a half skulls out of five skulls. Before we move to Good Morning, self-titled. Self-titled. I rank... With a four out of five rating. I give it four and a half skulls. Good morning. I give four and a half skulls. I give four and a half skulls to good morning. Crimson, I give four skulls to. I give three to Crimson. Remains. Uh, Three and a half. Five out of five. Agony and irony, I could not give you a qualified rating because I listened to the first half of it once, and that was the moment that I said, you know what? This band has given me so much, I think I'm ready to walk away. I give Agony and Irony one and a half skulls. This addiction? At the time, I I tried really hard to like this record, and I think I, I gave it a review that was kind of like a c-ish at the time when it came out uh-huh. um i would now give it half a skull never heard it my shame is true i heard it once when they played it live mm-hmm. they played my shame is true and then they played god damn it afterwards it was when they were playing two records a night and i got to the show and i said Hmm. Not sure what this record is. Mm-hmm. So then I looked at Wikipedia and they were on like the fourth song and I was like, "Oh, this is probably this is probably this song." Mm-hmm. And so I think that was the time that I heard My Shame is True. Mhm. Mhm. Uh I give it 2 skulls out of 5. So, from here on, one episode Equals one song, and we've got 155 episodes left. Well, uh, I give this podcast five skulls out of five. If you like it, if you feel like you're interested in it, 
Subscribe to it on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell a friend who likes or maybe hates Alkaline Trio. I think that we're all going to find things to agree on and disagree on. If you really like it, check out No Plus Ones with David and Dan Ozzy. Mm-hmm. You can listen to me on the Better Yet podcast. And we'll see you for episode number two. Stop.